0: The Invincible Teams podcast is powered by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork, training, and consulting to help your team thrive in every season. If you want to have a team that makes other leaders jealous, get started by going to their website in the show notes and scheduling your free consultation today. Welcome to Invincible Teams, a podcast for team leaders and business owners who are tired of dealing with drama and politics, high turnover, and teams not meeting their potential. We know that team leaders and business owners like you are pretty much always under pressure to get the most out of your teams, and we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. Welcome back to Invincible Teams. I'm your host, Ryan Mayfield. Today, we're talking about story. And here's why it's so important. No one understands the world around them without a story. The stories we believe are the lenses through which we all interpret the world. As a business owner or team leader, you have to understand that everyone who works for you is living out a story day after day. Every one of your customers is living in a story that is influenced by other stories. Stories have the power to unify people and to energize people. Entire failing companies have been completely turned around by telling the right story and vice versa. Good companies have failed because they told the wrong story. So today we're talking with author Lisa Kron. Lisa is obsessed with story and she has a new book called Story or Die. In it, she explains the brain science behind why stories are so powerful and gives practical guidance on how you can create the right story for yourself, your family, your team, or your business. So here's my interview with Lisa Kron. Okay, Lisa Kron, welcome to Invincible Teams. How are you? I am doing just fine. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm in the middle of my my day right now, and um, yeah, going good and excited to be chatting with you. So uh, I appreciate you being here. Ah, my utter and complete pleasure. Well, for those that are listening, why don't you introduce yourself, uh, tell us who you are and what it is that you do.
1: Okay. Uh, uh, my name is Lisa Kron, and I, I work with story, story itself, not... Types of story, not storytelling, but story, what it is, why we're wired for it, how we respond to it. Literally what a story is, because most people are do not know. What most people think a story is, believe it or not, is, is, is wrong. So what I do is I work at the moment with writers. I work with screenwriters, I work with novelists, I work with with memoirs, helping them as a story coach, not a writing coach, because it's not about writing. And again, you know, I'm, I'm very big at busting myths. So any type of writing you're doing, it's, it's not about writing. It's about the story that you're conveying and diving down into that. So that's what I do now, you know, along with teaching and back in the day when we could actually Go somewhere. Although oh, you're speaking now. Everything is like this through Zoom, and uh, but with my latest book, the one that's that's about to come out, uh, "Story or Die," um, I'm I'm hoping to kind of leap into another arena, which is the arena of story in the world, because story really is how we make sense of everything. It's how we're wired to make sense of everything. The way that we've been taught as to how we make sense of everything and how we weigh evidence and how we make decisions. um, It's just wrong. It's just Mm. literally, and it's not wrong. Like my opinion, it's wrong or theory it's wrong. It's biologically wrong. It's just not how we decide things. We decide Mm. things via, via story, via narrative. And given how, contentious, shall we say, how divided <laughs> the world seems to be at this moment.
0: I, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> it really felt like the right time to kind of come out and go, okay, you know, this is really how to communicate. This is really how, if you have a point you want to get across or, I mean, I think no matter what side of the divide that you're on, we're all sitting here thinking like, how could those other people get it so wrong? <laughs> it's like, right. how can they be so wrong headed? And obviously, I think the other thing we sort of all know at this point is explaining it to them with facts isn't going to work. In fact, it's probably just going to make them matter. So the question is, well, how you know how do you communicate? How do you figure out how to you know get your point across and and you know hopefully to get people to see what you want them to see, whether it's you know something political or literally, you know, buy my new wonderful brand of peanut butter, you know, whatever that would be, how do you convince somebody to do something they're not already doing? And for me, the the, the, the underlying part, the part that really is as important, it is as important, is the practical art, uh, the art of practical empathy. Because you have mm. to be able to empathize with somebody before you can change their mind about anything, before you can create a story that's going to change their mind about anything. And I think the problem that we have in in the world in general and in the business world is thinking, okay, I want to convince you to do something. So I'm going to look at why I think you object. And then I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. I'm going to overcome that objection. And really often, first of all, we're wrong about why they're objecting. And most importantly, we're wrong about the meaning they're reading into that choice that they're making and what we're actually asking them to give up by asking them to look at it differently. And by being able to empathize, which doesn't just mean, it isn't just empathy like I understand intellectually why you're doing what you're doing but it's i can feel the meaning of it i can feel that meaning and understanding that i know what it is i need to question i know what that what i call it is i know what that misbelief is i know what you're misreading here and why and so i'm going to create a story that will help you see that and at the same time show you the reward that you're going to get by making whatever change it is that i'm suggesting that you make and the reward is is never well rarely anyway I mean, part of it might be you'll make more money you'll have but it's also that you're going to feel better about about yourself and who you are and, mm. and that's how we change minds and it, again it all comes back to story story mm. meaning you know both the stories that we tell again which i think are very different what, what a story is and what we think it is are two completely different things but also when i say we make sense of everything through story i mean you know we all have our personal narrative that we use to read meaning into the facts that we get, which is why facts don't work. You give someone a fact and you think it has a particular meaning and there's, there's no such thing as objective on that level. I mean, (laughs) out there there might be, but we are all going to read subjective meaning into it again, not because there's something wrong with us or we're stupid or we're, you know, we're stubborn, but because life has taught us that that's what those things mean. So anyway, that's sort of a, you know, an overview and, and I'm hoping to be able to take some of that out into the world because I mean, not only will it help people tell more effective stories, but it will help people connect better because Hmm. we so need to be able to connect with each other and not just completely, you know, vilify the other side, which it, it feels like at the moment, (laughs) well, I mean, it's scary to think it could get worse. Um, I suppose it always could, but, but right now it feels like a very critical point. So, um, yeah. The yeah. last thing I'll say is, I mean, the world is very different than it was when, literally just two years ago when I decided to write this book. So it feels yeah. like I'm so glad I did it because, you know, it's coming out, I think at the, you know,
0: at a, at a pivotal moment. Right. Well, just the, the concept of story and and the power of story is intriguing to me. I, I um, this is something that I actually think about fairly often. And, and in terms of, of business, you know, so I do a lot of, coaching uh, and consulting with teams. And even uh, this morning, I was talking to a team about story and about their mission as a team, but then also uh, just with you know my own personal life and family and what story are you trying to tell and how do you make sense of all that? And and then what you're saying, kind of the interpretive lens, right, through which everybody looks at things. And, and if you don't understand that, then it's really hard to understand the people around you, the world around you. And what you're saying to connect with other people. Right. Right. Um, And so um, I I love that. I think it's an intriguing concept. And I want to talk more about the book in a minute, but, but I want uh, you to share a little bit more. Like when you say that you work with story and you work with other people with story, what are some of the types of people that you work with? What are some of the arenas that you get to work with story within?
1: I mean right now, at this moment, like I said, I'm hoping to make a leap into not quote unquote, writers. because right now the 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 uh, the arena that i'm I'm working primarily in is, as I said, with people who are writing novels people who are writing uh, personal essays, people who are writing memoirs, people who are writing screenplays, people who are writing, you know, looking to uh, create, uh, you know, television series, that, documentaries, that sort of, that sort of thing. But all of it, again, breaks down to the exact same thing that you're doing, whether it's in business or whether it's, it's in the political arena or whether it's in the nonprofit arena or you know the notion of uh, of, of of whatever one's um, you know one's passion that one is 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 volunteering for issues that people are are involved in it is it is it is the exact same thing because what we come to story for, what we listen for in stories, and again, and I don't mean, I mean, just if I could just back up for one second, we've sort of been taught that story is something that is for entertainment, right? Let me tell you a story. Mm. It sounds like I'm going to read you a book. You're going to watch a movie. You're going to, it's something that is there. That's sort of auxiliary. And Mm. the truth is stories hardwired into our brain. We literally make sense of everything through story. It's, 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 like I said, it's hardwired into our brain. Story's the language of the brain. But hmm. so when we're lost in a story, when the story's pulling us in, and this is true of, you know, when you're, again, when you're reading or watching, but when someone's telling you a story, when it's a, hmm. you know, when you're telling someone their mission, your mission statement, when you're writing your mission statement, we're being pulled in. And what we're looking for isn't what, what happened? What's it about? That's the Big mistake that people make about story. They think it's about the thing that happens. They think it's about the plot. They think it's about in business the change, the external change that you want someone to make. And that mm-hmm. is not what story's about. Story is about why. Why is that person doing it? Why would that matter to you? That's what we come for. I often think of story as a difference between what we say out loud. And what we're really thinking when we say it, because how often are those two things the same and which one, you know, is, is more revealing, which one is more interesting and which one is juicier. And it's always the, what the person's really thinking that why, and again, it goes down to, if you've got an audience and you want to change what they're doing, if you don't understand why they're doing what they're doing to begin with their view of why not yours because that's the mistake that we come into with we think we know why and we think they see the same world we do so we're giving them reasons that would work for us (laughs) and it completely blinds us to the fact that they have completely different reasons for why they're doing it and frankly they don't care why you're doing it they don't care about you at all they care about how is this going to affect me given my agenda so when i'm working with writers now and we're talking about either you know, a fictional character that they've created, or if it's memoir them, it's always, but well, why is that character doing that? What is the the mm. real meaning that they're reading into it? And where did that come from? And, and this, again, talking about the practical art of empathy, it always comes from our past. The lens that we use to make sense of things isn't something that somebody that we got out of a book or that we were born with a priori, even though we tend to think it's that's true. In other words, we think that everybody sees the same world we do. I literally, for this book, just finished reading a book by, um, I can't remember his name, a neuroscientist here in LA. Uh, and it was literally called Your Brain is a Time Machine. And it's premised on the fact, which you'll find in all sorts of other literature out there, is that you know the sole purpose of your brain is to record past memories in order to predict the future because that's what we're Mm -hmm. doing every minute of every day when you're in a situation and you're not sure what to do you're thinking okay well given my agenda what i want and given what my choices are what am i going to do that's going to help me achieve that and we look to our past to figure that out and that's where meaning comes from meaning comes from by definition our past and so each one of us i mean Sadly, as we can see now, when you, I used to say like, you know, when you look at facts and now it's like, you know, I mean, whatever that is, because right. we can't even seem to agree on facts, but imagine that there is one that we can agree on. People are reading diametrically, you know, diametrically opposed meanings into those facts. And those meanings are based on what they learned when they were kids. But, but the important thing to think of is, is that they didn't learn it and decide it they learned it when they were very, very, very young. And they thought, well, that is just the way the world is. So that now that they're looking at it that way, they don't think, well, this is what I believe. They think this is what people, smart people anyway, right? Those people <laughs> are idiots over there and we'll explain it to them. And then they're going to you know, come back over here to real reality and get it. And it doesn't work that way for anybody. And yeah. I guess if I could say the, the one other thing about what pulls us in and what we're looking for in any story that we hear, and, and now I'm talking about literally spoken stories. There was a great study that was done by a neuroscientist, I think his name is Stephen Brown out of McMaster University. And he wanted to see like, when you're pulled into a story, what what area of your brain lights up? Like, what are you looking Uh, for? And mm -hmm. he thought it was gonna be what what Aristotle said, which is, you know, plot first, character second. In other words, like if you're thinking of, of a story or a mission statement, it's like, okay, but what's happening out there? Like what's at stake in the real world objectively, dramatically? And it would be that first and character second. So he, you know, put people and he did whatever it is you do to put them in an fMRI machine. And he read them again. We're not talking about he didn't have them like read a novel or watch a movie. He literally just read them headlines. And they were things like and these actually came from the study. It was things like a <laughs> surgeon finds scissors inpatient you know, or mm. or, you know, fisherman saves boy from freezing lake. Things mm. like that. And he thought it would be the OK, what's happening? That's what's going to what's going to light up. And that's not what happened. What Mm -hmm. happened was the area of your brain that mentalizes is what lit up. And that means what that what mentalize means is they went to whose story is this? And what do they want? What are they afraid of? What's their motive? In other words, Mm -hmm. we immediately go to who is the person? And why is this going to affect them? Why does this matter to them? And not just on a, he doesn't want to, fall into the lake and because he'd freeze and die because that's generic, but specifically to that person, that's what we come for. That's what story is. Again, it's not about what happens or what someone does. It's about why. And when you're creating a story in business or in to convince anybody of anything it's going in and figuring out for your target audience the real reason why they're not already doing what it is that you want them to do Mm. and then finding what i call their misbelief what are they getting wrong about that in their language in terms of how they see it and then how can you create a story that will show them what that misbelief is so they on their own are going to go oh wow yeah, this is what's been holding me back and here's what's true because if I embrace what, what's true, I'm going to feel like my most authentic self. Not, And I know that sounds so hackneyed right now. I hate using that expression, most authentic self, but it really does come down to the how I'm going to feel about myself and what I'm going to do. And that's how they're going to you know, hear your call to action. But it means you have created everything based on what it would mean to them rather than hmm. what it means to you which is, you know, a big trap that we fall into. Right. Well, you, you already took several of the questions that I had as you
0: are talking, you've, you've already answered a lot of those. I was going to ask about empathy. I mean, um, cause you've mentioned that several times here. Mm-hmm. And so when you are trying to craft a story for, for whatever reason, if it's for personal reasons, for marketing, for your own internal stuff, uh, inside business or, or writing a story in general, like you're talking about, um, how do you find that empathetic point for your audience rather than just writing from your own experience?
1: I think that comes into really zeroing in on on who your target audience is. I mean, first of all, it's really, really doing research and finding out who are they. And I think the key thing one of the one of the big mistakes it's easy to make is to go, "Well, my audience is everybody." And it's like mm, your audience yeah. is even if your audience is everybody, like, in other words, if you were trying to combat climate change and your audience is everybody, but each person, each each group of that, each, to use a word that, you know, is a, is, to use a word that just is true, it's been true from, from time immemorial, because, I mean, the truth is we're wired to live in a world we don't live in anymore. That's, uh, I think, a <laughs> big part of the problems that we have right now is we're literally wired to live in very small, and here's the word, tribes you know, Mm. and our tribe is where we get meaning from. In other words, Mm -hmm. and the reason for that, if I could digress just for kind of one second, if that would be okay. Because the reason, and just to hit on that, you know, we're wired to live in a world we don't live in anymore. We're wired to live in, you know, what's it? Dunbar's number is, is uh, you know, is 150. Like there's not mm-hmm. more than that in terms of who we have to think about, what we have to do. And back in the day, about 100,000 years ago, when our brain had this last big growth spurt, and for a long time, I mean, what you were taught, what I was taught when we were kids was, you know, uh, evolutionary biologists thought that that was when we got, and it's true, it is when we got the ability to think analytically. And, and they thought, yeah. okay, that's why, you know, because we needed to be able to think analytically. And that's how we were able to like le- leap the food chain, which we did. And now what they know is that's not why. The why was because by that time, you know, we've kind of, we, we had a rudimentary, rudimentarily, we were able to sort of, you know, take care of ourselves. We weren't going to walk off a cliff. We knew to run from a lion. We could get food. But if we were going to do What we have since done, which is, I mean, let's face it, take over the world, we needed to learn how to do that thing that they've been telling us to do since kindergarten, which is to work well with others. And what they Mm -hmm. know now is that that growth spurt was when our need to be part of a group was hardwired. And that is such a key thing. Our need to be part of a group is just as biologically driven as is our need for food, air, and water. And that's when people go, no, I'm a lone wolf. I always want to go. Well, you do understand, don't you, that wolves travel in packs? (laughs) And if you look look up, literally, like what a lone wolf is, a lone wolf is a wolf that has been so damaging to the pack that it's been ostracized and Mm. it left. we, We are all people who need other people. But the problem is, is we're wired to live in a world where the tribes were very isolated Mm -hmm. and where if you did do something, you know, if you did do something that went against the tribe, if you lied, if you made a promise you didn't keep, everybody was gonna know. And the Mm -hmm. promises that you made, you know, to call them promises, had to do with keeping everybody alive because we all had to do our part or the tribe was going to die. So, so basically you were, you, you were, you were always going to be held accountable for what you Mm. did. And now there's no accountability anymore. Like there isn't. And, but we're still wired to live in that world and to, to think of that, you know, at that point. So, you know, so right now, when it comes to telling a story, it's going to change someone's mind. And if you're thinking, well, everybody, if we started with this, like, okay, climate change, okay, everybody needs to, but people are going to be in their own tribes, and they're going to hear that differently. So you mm-hmm. would need literally a different message for each, for each tribe, and that would be going into what matters to them and doing enough research to find out. Well, what matters to them and how can you get them to do what they need to do to solve this big problem? Let me give you a very quick example. There was a study done, I forget, I think it was 2012, um, and it was to see what would make conservatives, people who were very like anti, you know, there's no such thing as climate change and they were, did not want to be seen as tree huggers, like no matter what, and how can you get them to buy, uh, you know, energy efficient light bulbs, Hmm. And what they discovered was, was if you took energy efficient light bulbs and you said, um, you know, this is going to help you save money, you know, you will save X amount of dollars to do it if you, if you buy them. That that worked. If you took even that same messaging, but you put a "this is green" sticker on it, they wouldn't mm. buy. It <laughs> because mm. them, it said, people are going to think you're a tree hugger, and that is not my tribe, and I don't want to be part of that tribe. Right, right. So, in other words, you really had to see what mattered to this group, and how can you tailor what you're doing so that it it, it is what they are going to be able to hear and feel like you're part of their tribe. You know, yeah. that's why, if I could just say one. It, one thing that bugs me, if you don't mind, I know I'm going on and on and on. Yeah. So tell me to shut up at any point. But You're it, fine. It really bothers me when people like like and this is gonna get I'm not gonna I, I promise not to get political personally, but but like when when um when when Mitt Romney came out and he said, you know, he's against, you know, he's he's gonna vote for impeachment, he's gonna and the left leapt on him how dare you do that you you know and i kept thinking shut up shut up shut up don't you understand that when you've got a group that is very self defining and and feels very strongly about something the only way they're going to lear- listen to the other side is if somebody who they respect and who they really feel is part of their tribe has gone in and gone, no, I I know what you're saying, but look at it this way. That's who they're going to respect. So it's like, no, no, don't say that (laughs) because maybe he can change minds in a way that, you know, you, you know, who's very strongly on the left, not only won't you change anybody's mind, but you might end up with what they call the boomerang effect, which is if you're going to come in and give someone, you know, hard and fast facts, why they shouldn't believe what they believe, not only are they going to go, wow, yeah, you know, you might have a point, they're going to think of new counter arguments. (laughs) So it's going to, you know, take you just as far in the wrong direction as you're thinking it's going to take you in the right. Again, it comes back to having empathy. It mm-hmm. comes back to understanding that people don't believe what they believe because they're stupid or angry or, you know, or there's something wrong with them. It's because this is what life has taught them is true, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they believe it on a on a biological level. They, it's not it's not what we would call intellectual, and this doesn't make it lesser. Then it's been relegated to what they call their cognitive unconscious, and it comes out in how they feel about things, and that's the other thing that we get really really wrong in the world and that is the way that we look at emotion. And if you want mm-hmm. me to I can dive into that. I'll stop right now because I know I'm on this tangent or I could just keep going like forever. So,
0: um I will stop. Well, let's let's come back to that in just a minute. I want to make a little bit of a transition here. I know you're not necessarily, you know, mm-hmm. camping out in the business world all the time, but uh, I do know that this stuff about story has Um, incredible implications for the people that would be listening to this podcast, Uh, you know, business owners, team leaders, um, even as you're talking about people wanting to belong to something like a tribe, to me, that sounds a lot like a team. Um, And so I I know like your book, um, you know, it's called story or die and I really enjoyed getting to go through it. And I'm excited to go for a second read where I actually have more time to, to slowly digest everything, but Mm -hmm one of my favorite parts of it was that pretty much every chapter comes with some sort of a case study uh, about the power of story. And it's usually in the context of some sort of a business or a team. And so I'd love to hear from you, just maybe one of your favorites of those case studies and why you think it's such a a powerful testimony um, to story.
1: Okay. Let's do, um, and we could do ones that don't work as well if you want to, because I have examples also of things that have like, you know, failed tragically. Mm-hmm. um the simplest one well let's do two let's do one that has to do with audience and really trying to figure out why your audience isn't already doing what you want them to do and the case study that i, I put in the book for that is the case study um that a lot of you might be familiar with because it's it's you know it's it's from uh, actually decades ago um although the company still uses a tagline that they came up with as a result of this research, and that is Motel 6. And in, uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, if it was the 90s or the 80s or um, somewhere, and they were just losing customers, like right and left, and they were trying to figure out why people weren't staying at Motel 6 because it was the least expensive place to stay. And you'd think like, as we're taught, I mean, one of the rules of economics was people don't go against their economic self-interest. And it's like, if that was true, everybody would stay at Motel 6. Clearly Mm -hmm. something else was going on. So they got together a focus group. And the interesting thing is each of the people in the focus group had stayed at a Motel 6 within the past six months. They knew that going in. So they started, you know, started asking questions like, you know, if you're on the road and you gonna stay somewhere, like, like where do you like to stay? And nobody mentioned Motel 6, like hmm. nobody. So they're thinking like, uh-oh, like let's ask them again. So they reframed it and asked the question again. And again, nobody mentioned Motel hmm. 6. like not a single person. So now they're thinking, we've done something wrong. Is there something wrong with the research? We've got to rethink. They sort of asked a third time. And on the way out, as they were leaving, one person turned around and said, Well, if it's late at night, you know, and I've really got to pull in somewhere, I'll stay at Motel Six because then it gives me enough money that I can bring, you know, that I can bring a present for my grandkids. And hmm. at that moment, they stopped and everybody <laughs> had a similar story. And hmm they realized at that moment was that people were embarrassed to say that they'd stayed at Motel 6 because out there in the world, the perception was, you know, if you stay at Motel 6, you're poor. You mm. know, it's like you also dumpster dive, like, you know, it was clearly right. a sign of poverty. And that was something to be embarrassed about. And nobody wanted to be seen as somebody. And this one person, and it goes to I mean, I'm just going to put a pin in that for one second and go, when you are creating a story, if it's for your team, or if it's, you're trying to convince someone to do something, whether it's business-wise or whatever, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Hmm. Because in the writing world, they go, I want my character to be likable. And, and you think, well, and people think, well, I've got to be likable. And that means that I never make a mistake. And I always know what I'm doing. And I'm always this kind, great, wonderful person. And we don't like people like that. Right. People who seem perfect are the very people were thinking, you know, those are the people you unfriended on Facebook. And you're also <laughs> thinking like, what have they, what have they really got going on down there in the basement? Because nobody's that. Right. right. What makes us likable is being relatable. And mm. the thing that makes us relatable is being vulnerable. And that mm-hmm. person at Motel who, who said that at the focus group was being vulnerable because everybody else could have rolled their eyes and gone, oh my God, I can't believe you stay there. Now I know something about you, you know? I'll right. wait for another elevator. You can go down in that one by yourself. But instead it was the courage to say it that made everybody else go, yeah, me too. And it turned out they realized, okay. So it was about, you know the, the good thing about Motel 6 is you're being frugal. And there's a big mm. difference between being cheap and being frugal, right? Nobody wants to be seen as mm. being cheap. Everybody likes the idea of frugal because it means now you have money for what matters. Mm. And that's what, what turned that around. And then they brought in, because they wanted to kind of then get that sort of down home, um, you know, unpretentious voice behind it. And they got Tom Baudet, where if you've ever heard his voice, I admit, I would do anything Tom Baudet ever told me to do. <laughs> I love his voice. So much. It's just like he's got this voice where you think, "No, let me sit down by the fire with you and tell me a story." Yeah. He he, they brought him in at that point. He was he was. I think he he told stories on a on National Public Radio. That was he was not Mm. famous at that point. And they brought him in for his voice, and he literally ad libbed the the you know the tagline that Motel Six has had you know from the beginning, which is you know we'll leave the light on for you. Right. Right. Which is so homey. It's like you know. I mean, you, you can't imagine. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going anyway. You can't imagine them at Mar-a-Lago going, "We'll leave the light on for you." <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> sure. it could be more of a different audience, right? So, but any, anyway, but so, so that would be a point of really trying to figure out what it is that's keeping your audience from and listening for what their misbelief is. And the misbelief there was if I stay there and let people know they're going to think I'm cheap. And now Mm -hmm. they went in and got a story that, 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 that countered that and said, no, 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 you're not cheap. You're actually saving money. So you can bring that cute stuffed bunny to your cute grandkid. And people are really going to, going to like you for it as opposed to not. And then knowing that, that makes you want to pay it forward. And now it's not just that you've heard the call to action, but you want to disabuse other people <laughs> of that, you know, the notion that it makes you seem cheap. So they right. take it out and they're going to trumpet it, you know, out there, out there to the world. And then just another quick example of just this notion of, you know, when you've got a story and you you think about, okay, what misbelief, as I call it, what is it that people think about my using my product or believing this? that is wrong the misbelief that they've got deep down so it usually isn't something necessarily factual but it's something that they believe and they believe for a reason and a really simple example for that would be um this was a few years ago uh was a subaru ad Hmm. and and at that point, like Subaru, everybody kind of knew like they're not really pretty cars, <laughs> but they're really safe. You know, they were known. You know, it's, it's what's inside that counts, right? So they were mm-hmm. known for safety, and they wanted to get that point across. So what they did was they. Then you maybe you've seen this. Maybe you've seen this commercial. Um, when I talk about it to people, they oh yeah, I saw that one. Um, I totally admit I found it by searching online, like most effective commercials, and you know, and it came up. So I had not seen it at the time, but. But they, the, the misbelief that they started with was, and I'm sure you guys have all gone through this. You know, you're, you're driving down the freeway, or whatever, and you see you know, that there's been an accident and there's one of those like mangled cars where it's just like completely in pieces. And you go, oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, you know, like those poor people, like Mm -hmm. nobody could survive that. Mm -hmm. And that was the misbelief that they wanted to, to deal with, which was if you get in a really hairy accident, inherently you're a goner. And so they did something that talk about, you know, the other thing about a story isn't with anything, it breaks an expectation right mm-hmm. like what we expect to see and now we see something else and you know the one thing that we don't expect to see in car commercials like on purpose is a mangled car right mm-hmm. they don't want to sell you a car while you're thinking of I could get in my car and not make it home or whatever right. but it opens with this completely mangled car and the camera pulls back and there's the I-, I can't remember it's a cop or someone who's like staring at this scene and then the tow truck driver comes up and he gives the cop a look of like empathy like oh my god that those poor people and All the person says back is, they lived. And then that is repeated as the car gets towed to the junkyard. The same thing, the person bringing it in. Someone looks, he says, they lived. And that Mm. is basically the entire commercial. It finally gets to the end and a family runs out and they they go to the car and the, the dad says, you know, we lived, you know, thanks to our Subaru. And then they get in and they drive away in a new one. And that's it. I mean, it is as simple as that. It broke a misbelief that all of us had because I mean, basically, not to get into the weeds of anything, but it often is a simple, uh, a simple metric of what is the misbelief, what is the truth that's going to counter that misbelief. Once, not because you're telling them, but because they, meaning your target audience, has internalized that and seen, oh wow, what realization do they then have? And then that's transformative. And that doesn't transform at first what they do. It transforms what they believe Mm -hmm. and what they believe then transforms what they do. And that is the key secret of story. Story is not about changing someone's external behavior. Story is always about challenging an internal belief. It's about changing what somebody believes, no matter what it is, even if it's, you know, my peanut butter is better than yours. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's about changing a belief. Yeah. And that's 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 what the book dives into because we're all making sense of everything via our personal narrative the meaning hmm. we get into things and for each one of us it's it's different by definition because it's based on what our past experience has taught us. Hmm.
0: Well, I think those examples are phenomenal and you know if you're listening to this right now and you are a business owner, a team leader or just somebody that plays you know a role on a team somewhere, uh, I hope that you can already see a lot of the implications for story within you know whatever your your realm is right so uh, whether it's in marketing and advertising or whether it's in um, HR you know hiring I talked with a company this morning. Uh, about story before you and I even got on this podcast. And uh, we were talking about in their hiring process, what story are they inviting people to be a part of? Right yeah. with with their team members, uh, because that's going to determine whether or not their team members are engaged and given their best effort and having you know high retention and job satisfaction, or if they're just going to phone it in every day. Um, and you're of course going to pass that on to to customers and things. And so there's a lot of application in the business world for um, just the idea of story, the power of story. One of the things though that I want to to make sure and ask you about before we wrap up here. Is in the last chapter of your book uh, there was a quote that I that I really enjoyed uh, but I want you to talk more about it and the quote was this it said uh, those who don't learn to harness the story will fall victim to it and so what do you mean by that talk a little bit more about that
1: Sure and what I mean by that is we are affected by stories every minute of every day, whether we know it or not, because it is literally biological. And when I say story, just to be really clear, I don't even mean let me tell you a story about our company, let me tell you a story about, I mean literally when you understand someone else's narrative and the meaning that they're going to read into what you're talking about, a story can be two words. I mean, it, it to break away from the notion of story three acts or what a novel is, it literally simply is the meaning that that person is reading into what you're asking them to do or what you're saying so when you don't understand that power it is so easy to be swept up into it because story 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 mainlines meaning story doesn't come in through your brain and then you analyze what the person said and then it goes into your you know your belief system story literally comes in through your and if we have a minute to talk about emotion sure. but it comes in through through emotion how you feel about it and then it's very easy to act and you don't even realize why you're doing it if you understand that story has that power over you, it means that once you're pulled up in a story, and right now, I mean, as, as, as I think it's really easy to see when you look at some of the conspiracy theories out there that on the face of them m- make so absolutely, like literally, like no sense in the real world. If you haven't learned to go, okay, wait a minute, I'm feeling this way about it. But let me stop, and this does come down to conscious thought, let me stop and look at it and ask some questions, the same way if you were creating a question, like how and why, like, let me give you a quick example, and I guess this does get sort of political, but this notion that QAnon has that, you know, Democrats and and, and Hollywood elites have got uh, this pedophile ring of all these children worldwide that they're, that they're selling, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. and they're eating or whatever and okay that's a, as I say to writers like you can say anything in a simple declarative sentence but if you stop and you went down to the how and why and you just even think okay if they've got this massive number of children that they're doing this to where are the outraged parents <laughs> why right. aren't the reports of parents going where are my kids it's mm-hmm. like how could this be if you don't learn to stop and ask questions you will get pulled away because when it comes down to emotion, do we have a few minutes to dive into the, the way emotion works? I don't know if we're okay. So, So, so here's, here's the point story and, everything is driven by emotion. And the problem is we've been taught to vilify emotion. We've been taught that, that, you know, logic or reasoning, you know, rationality and emotion are opposites, and they're going to fight with each other. And, you know, when you want to make a decision, you're going to, you know, keep emotion at bay because it's going to, you know, weigh all the options and, and, mm-hmm. and analyze it dispassionately You know, the cold light of objective reason. And if you Keep emotion at bay because otherwise it's going to come in and cloud your judgment. And the truth is that's a great model and it makes us feel so secure. It makes us feel that, like we're in charge, but it just completely isn't true. Every decision we make, we make based on how we feel about everything. Is so There's nothing that happens to us that doesn't bring with it a chorus of emotion. When people go, you know, don't be so emotional, calm down. I always wanna go, are you aware that calm is an emotion? Mm. <laughs> You're all, and what emotion is, is emotion is your body's way of instantly letting you know what something means to you. Mm-hmm. And once we believe something, it goes down into our, what's known as our cognitive unconscious. And the reason that we keep memories, when I said earlier, you know, that, that the sole purpose of your brain is to record past memories in order to predict the future. Mm-hmm. The memories that we hold on to, we don't hold on to like, oh, this is so sweet, or is this wonderful, I can go down memory lane later. It's what our, you know, amygdala, and limbic system have decided are this is something important i need to remember this and those emotional emotion charged memories i mean emotion is there to literally let your conscious brain know and your nervous system that this is something that's going to help protect us in the future i better remember this and mm. those memories are they get like an evergreen backstage past into your long-term memory. It's why, you know, you can remember certain things vividly from when you were six, but if you were just introduced to someone two minutes later, you can't remember their name. Right, yeah. Because there was no reason to. And emotion is then what mainlines meaning. So when something happens, so your conscious brain doesn't have to go, well, let me think about what this is that way. It's just, oh, this is important to me. And sort of the last thing I'll say on this is also, and the reason that tribes matter so much is that, when we're first trying to figure out the world as kids, and this is where we get our first like, this is who I am, and this is what the world is like. You know, you may have heard of Abraham Maslow's you know pyramid of needs. As American psychologist, oh, yes. the top is like you know sense of purpose and, and connection. At the bottom, first thing we need, he says, is food, water, shelter, which is not true. Mm-hmm. The first thing we need is somebody who cares enough about us to give us those things. Because when mm-hmm. you're a baby, you can't get them by. By yourself. So we're wired to take in, and an, okay, how does the world work? What do I need to do in order to, and I don't mean it in a purely transactional way, but to get my needs met. Mm. And that, that's what literally becomes hardwired. And that need to belong to a tribe and what my tribe believes and needs for me to do becomes our sense of self. It becomes our, our identity, it becomes our comfort zone. And anything that challenges that, any fact that challenges it, It brings up the, it brings, it literally brings up within your body the same physiological reaction that you would have if somebody said to you, put up your Dukes, I'm going to punch you. Because the feeling is, is again, back when we evolved and the notion of emotional pain, as opposed to being ostracized, of being left out, as opposed to the brain, you know, creating new neural pathways, they just started to go down the same pathways as you know, if somebody did punch you in the nose. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you say to somebody, here's this other belief system, they don't think you're just giving them an objective fact and they have objective facts. They think that you said something like, you know, what was it when we were little kids to go, your mom wears army boots. I mean, it's like <laughs> a personal affront and they're ready to pummel you. That's why facts yeah. don't work because it's bringing up a part of the brain that has nothing to do with making rational decisions because guess what? we don't make rational decisions the way they told us that we do. It, it just, it's just a false model is, is the point. Right. So I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> no, that's great. I um Like I
0: said, I think the whole topic of, of story is incredibly interesting. And especially when you start trying to apply it to all the different areas of life, whether that's, you know, business, whether it's personal, whatever it is um, understanding it, it, it just brings a lot of clarity to why you do the things you do why other people do the things that they do and um you know as you said way back in the beginning of this conversation that's where we can actually connect with people because until we understand that it's like we're speaking different languages we might as well be right um and so i think it's incredibly powerful um concept to be able to understand regardless of you know, what you're doing with it or, or what, where you're trying to apply it in life.
1: Yes, because it's human nature. It's literally, I mean, it's, uh, it's literally how we think. I mean, it's literally how we make sense of stuff. It's how we connect. It's not about what it's about, why, always and the why is always subjective. There is no objective. I mean, you think, I used to think as even as a little kid, like, how could, if there's an objective reality, how could we even know it? Because we know everything through our own subjective lens. It's just mm-hmm. literally impossible on that level. So having empathy for other people, unlike if you're in HR or you're interviewing someone, or, I mean, it really does come down to, to thinking about why would this matter to them? You know, Hmm. what's important to them and making them feel like they're part of it so they can be honest with you and you being vulnerable so they don't have that feeling that we often have of, which is what we often think with everybody else, which is almost like, okay, what do they want me to be? I'm going to give them the thing that they want. What are they looking for so I can pretend to be that as opposed to being, feeling comfortable and feeling like, is the difference between belonging and fitting in? You want someone in your organization who's going to belong. If somebody's trying to fit in, it means I'm going to see what you want. And I'm going to cut myself into that mold. It might not be who I really am, but I'll do what I need to do to fit in. And that never, that, that never works because then you've got that schism between who they really are and, and what they're trying to be. And that just doesn't work. It's always looking for the, why would it matter to this other person? What's important to them? And then finding the Venn diagram, you know, where those things are going to overlap, yeah. um, you know, yeah. I mean, this is, again, if I could just, uh, just say, when we talk about story, it is in everything. The way that you are making sense of things, the way that you are communicating with other people, the way you're thinking about yourself, it is in story. I mean, if we could just bust that model, I just hit, I just hit my fist. I know you can't see that, but that's my, my, my hand hitting my fist. We could bust the model of thinking a story is, okay, now let me tell you a story about, and then we're going into that. Certainly there is that for sure. But that is not what, that, that is just a, a kind of story. It isn't story itself. Story itself mm. is literally the meaning that we are bringing to things and understanding the meaning that other people are bringing to things and why they're doing what they're doing will help you see them and almost always really, really empathize with them. Even if you don't like what they're doing. I mean, it still doesn't mean what they're doing is right but it means you understand the why and you realize they're not just doing it you know, to be a jerk so to speak. Right. right.
0: Well, uh, Lisa, I feel like I could probably have a conversation (laughs) with you for several more hours, uh, just around the whole idea of story and where we see it playing out. Um, but I want to kind of wrap up with this is just tell us, um, about, you know, you've got this book, uh, story or die, and I would love for people to check it out. So give a little plug for that. Tell people where they can find you and connect with uh, the rest of what you do.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, The new book, which comes out on March 2nd, although, of course, can be pre-ordered now everywhere. Um, And the subtitle is It's Story or Die, How to Use Brain Science to Engage, Persuade, and Change Minds in Business and in Life and that really is what it is and it breaks it down into three there are three different um sections of the book the first really goes deeply into the brain science of how we make decisions and why you know and everything we've been talking about here but it literally really breaks it down because story has been so thought of as a soft science hmm. and it's not hmm. so an emotion has been thought of something we need to keep out of things and not only isn't it, but you know, as I make a point in the book, if you couldn't feel emotion, you couldn't make a single rational decision. That's biology, not hyperbole or you know, or or, or figurative. So mm. it really breaks that down, so you can feel comfortable going. Okay, yes, yeah, story is so important. The next section is about how to find your target audience and how to really zero in on the, okay, why aren't they hearing what you want them to hear? Why aren't they already doing it? So you really can dive into that and figure out and then create a story that very well might have them might counter their misbelief and Mm. end up having them come out hey i hate saying it because it's not like brainwashing but you know but believing what you want them to not and this is the important thing not because you told them to they're going to hear your call Mm -hmm. to action not because you said go do this but because they want to and then they become your champion and literally that section goes step-by-step breaking down how to create a story and if I wanted to say anything about this book separate from the others is it is completely prescriptive it's Mm -hmm. not like here's a whole bunch of theory now go out and try to do it yourself it's literally in all of this step by step by step so by the end in fact in that last part of the book, the last section, which is you know how to create a story, really the hope is you are creating your own story chapter by chapter as well. And at the end of every chapter, there's a little do this, so it's it's completely prescriptive. And if you want to find me, um, I, my website is uh, it's the name of my first book, uh, just wiredforstory.com. That is where I am. You can find me, you can connect with me. I have a, a, a newsletter that now, just went out today and I'm gonna try to be doing it every week that also will talk about this this book. And as I said, I'm just hoping to move into a new arena, not leaving the arena of writers because I love writers so deeply and I love what I do. I'm on the phone probably, because I, I do it oh, by phone or, or by Skype, probably six or seven hours a day. Hmm. You can tell, I love to talk. Um, But I'm hoping to branch out into more the business nonprofit, you know, taking story into the real world that way. Because if there's ever a time for us to need to find consensus, it's now. So I'm hoping to be able to, you know, help, you know, in in whatever way I can to do that.
0: Well, I think it's a great idea. And I think that you uh, will likely find a lot of success there. You know, just the companies, whether they're for profits, nonprofits, the ones that, do well are the ones who are able to tell a compelling story uh, that people can, like you said earlier, identify with, find themselves in. Um, And so I think it's very needed and for, for companies or teams out there who have um, a cause that's worthy um, it would be a shame if that uh, if the, that story wasn't told, and so uh, I would just encourage you to check out the book Story or Die to connect with Lisa um, if you think she might be able to to be of service to you or or have some um, interesting conversation there with her about that. And we'll put all the links uh, to all that stuff in the show notes, and um, that way you can find it real easy. So. Lisa, again, thanks for, for being on and having the conversation with me. Um, anything else as we kind of close it up here?
1: No, I mean, I think the only thing I would say is once you've mastered the power of story, use it wisely.
0: Mm. Well, thanks again for being on and I do appreciate it. Thanks for listening today to the Invincible Teams podcast. Please consider giving us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you are currently using. If you think today's content might be useful for someone you know, please consider sharing it with them. Just a reminder that the Invincible Teams podcast is brought to you by Evergreen. Evergreen provides teamwork, training, and consulting to help you eliminate office drama and turnover and help you get the most out of your team. Thanks again for listening. And like we always say, we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. See you next time.